Welcome to a brand new episode of Front End Happy Hour Podcast. We are joined by very two special guests who have maybe made appearances before on episodes. I want to welcome back Shirley Wu, uh, someone who doesn't need much of an introduction, Brian Holtz, uh, who is now joining us as a guest because he's back from Seattle. I like to think I'm just on hiatus. Ooh, hiatus. <laughs> I like that. It's great having you both back on. Shirley and Brian, can you give brief introductions of who you are, what you do? And I would love to hear your favorite happy hour beverage. I'm sure we've heard it before, <laughs> but I would love to hear it anyways. I can't remember it. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's always such a nice introduction. Hi, I'm Shirley. I, it's my fourth time on the show, and I hope I can stop counting. And then I've been begging Ryan being like, can I be like a semi-permanent? She's, uh, she's doing pretty good. Yeah. She's brought whiskey <laughs> she's with her. She's She knows how to bribe. Wait, and not just whiskey. Oh, yes. I, I, It's Japanese whiskey that I got in Osaka that I like brought onto a bullet train and then onto an airplane. This is, this is some dedication. This is dedication. <laughs> this is special. This is special. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and then favorite happy hour beverage is whiskey that we're having. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my name's Brian Holt, and I'm permanently jet lagged at, <laughs> <laughs> at Microsoft. Uh, I still, every time I meet someone that listens to Front Happy Hours, like, man, you work at Microsoft now. Oh man, you knew they were going to give you shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, you knew it. Like we ragged it. on you. I knew it. But you knew it was going to happen more. It's, it's just picking up. Great. Uh, my favorite happy hour beverage is uh, Japanese whiskey from Osaka. Yeah. Let's give introductions of the rest of the panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Uh, yeah, sure. My name's Augustus Yoon. I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Hi, I'm Mars Julian. I'm a software engineer at Netflix. Jim Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. Stacey London, front-end engineer at Atlassian. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In today's episode, we will actually be talking about what it's like to work at varying size of companies, whether it be a large company, a startup or freelance work or even agency work and really talk about what the differences are, what we like best, what our experiences have been, and, you know, it should be a fun topic. All right, but before we get started, in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide that keyword is? Salary. Salary. So if we say the word salary, we will all take a drink. All right. What experience have each of you had working at startups, large companies, agencies, doing freelance work? Have you done all of the above or is it just one or two? I'd love to kind of get a sense for what everyone's been working at. Well, I've only worked at small companies. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your career literally got bigger companies as you went, though. That's accurate. Like my internship was at a decently large company, but it wasn't a tech company. And then That doesn't count. <laughs> so it's been more like a... Hyperbola, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we're graphing my companies. But once I started the small start startup, then I went to, I can't remember, I went to Reddit. Yeah, it actually was technically small smaller than that startup because it was just so small. But it, like in terms of like impact and things like that, it was definitely much larger. And then, yeah, then Netflix, LinkedIn, Microsoft. So, yeah. Now I'm at like 125,000. Microsoft was really small. I've never heard of them. I've never yeah. heard of them either. Microsoft, actually. <laughs> Micro. Small. Soft. <laughs> I was just about to go there. Actually, really quick, like how, what do we define as a startup anymore? That's a good question. That's a good question. I actually would still consider Evernote a startup. Um, okay. I think, I mean... Being pre-IPO, I think, still should be considered a startup. I disagree. Okay. So, like, in that vein, Uber is still a startup, which, like, 
Uber oh, could yeah. go public if they wanted to. They choose not to. Or Uber's, and it's such a large. It's company. a very large company. It's so like, then is it the number of employees? Is there a number that makes it a startup? I think if you can still see almost everybody in the office and like recognize their face, even if they, you don't recognize their name. Or remember their name? Maybe that's, that's it. Good. Like that. Yeah. Ooh. Or like ping pong table to employee <laughs> ratio. I like that. that that's that, fair. This that's, is a new metric. That's much more scientific. <laughs> We're now calling these Londons. <laughs> that's the ratio. How, how many Londons there are? <laughs> I wonder also if it has to do kind of with how much process the company has. Sort of like as you get bigger, you tend to have more and more process, and that can often just be just like easily told by how many like C's you have, like C. CEO, CTO, CFO, and then under them, how many other levels there are before you get to individual contributors. I feel like as a company grows, those also tend to grow linearly. So could we say a company, say under a thousand employees, that his primary model is still growth and they're, let's say, less than 10 years old. Because there are companies that are still chugging along that are like 20 years old. I'm like, are you a startup anymore? (laughs) Even 10 feels like it's getting out of that even a little high on that, like maybe, but five, maybe too little. I don't right, know. So, so let me give you a counterexample of that. Yeah. Reddit. Yeah. Reddit is over 10 years old. Well, and yeah, and Evernote's uh, actually, we're just hitting our 10 years in uh, like next week, actually. And so yeah. it, it, it is so kind is, of is like. Reddit a startup? I don't know. I wouldn't call Reddit a startup. Yeah. Like, it was. It was. Mm. So when I joined, I was employed with 29 and it was. Oh. I was you were there. definitely at it when it was start. Yeah. yeah. It was at eight years. Oh. Whoa. Okay. All right. But you're still under a thousand employees, so that would be considered a startup. So maybe it is now it's not a startup. Employees. I don't. I don't. But it, there's only four hundred. But then, if it was the number of employees, I believe Evernote. I'm pretty sure Augustus will know better. But it's like what four hundred? Uh, we're actually around like two fifty now. Um, startup. So it's. Yeah, it's hard. So that's smaller uh, than I thought. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to what Jem said about a company. If they're still in like a growth mindset, they yeah, tend to be uh, scrappier. Yeah. So I like like less bureaucracy. It's just like everyone's just like. Stuff's flying everywhere. No one knows what anyone else is doing. <laughs> Get right. shit done. <laughs> the Londons are very high. <laughs> so I actually just Googled. Yeah, I, I just, that's that's actually what I do for my job. But uh, like, uh, I Googled what constitutes a startup. And there's this 50, 100, 500 rule where it's 50 million revenue run rate, 100 or more employees and worth more than 500 million. That's a startup or not a that's startup. a great, that is not a startup. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm like, that was a great right, question. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh wait, okay. I just got a decent. <laughs> it still seems like a little loose, but we've got a rough definition of what it is. So, I mean, I, I've definitely worked at actually all startups, large companies, like consulting agencies, agencies, and I've done some freelance work. I've done straight startups until Netflix. Well, startup slash small business. Again, that weird. I think a lot of small businesses call themselves startups, but they're actually just small businesses. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But they want to get startup because, like, it's attractive and, like, we're scrappy, like Mars said, but, you know, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, the first, like, agency I worked at was nine employees in total. And I believe that was even the owner, but I wouldn't call that a startup. It was just a small agency. Agency. That's really it is. Yeah. I worked mostly at like, yeah, big companies, like even straight out of school. My internship was at a pretty big established uh, company that was profitable or whatever, you know, had 
Um, but it was a private company. It was a family-owned company, but it was very big. So, like, basically a sister oh. company of S.C. Johnson Wax, which so makes... That's a small company. They just do a little couple things Multinational here. corporation. Multinational is fine. Uh, so big, and then after that, like, continually big until the job before I came out to San Francisco was the first startup that I had ever worked at. So that was fascinating. Um, and the difference between all those prior jobs and that jobs was very, was significant. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know, like, that was like a Midwestern startup. So I feel like what that had and, and what it encompassed was probably still even different than like what a startup in like Silicon Valley or the, you know, the Bay Area is, is like stereotypically yeah, like. I guess I went the opposite of Ryan. So I went smaller and smaller. So the first company. <laughs> to one <was> person. <laughs> to one person. So the first company was like 1200. So it was like on the verge of like, it was actually when I joined, it was 400. And within a year and a half, it was 1200. Um, and so it went from startup to like mid-size within like a year and a half. And I didn't like that. So then I went to a startup. Um, and then that went from 30 people to 120. And now I think I just don't like big companies. So I'm down to one. Yeah. You're like, fuck it. I, I can't have, you can't have coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, actually I started, I did a part-time job at my university. Um, but there was only three or two other engineers, but it was like for the College of Engineering of right, UW. Right. Uh, I worked as a student web dev. I don't even know what you constitute that. Uh, Team is just two other people. Yeah. So, uh. so I, I'm guessing like this question, Brian will say he prefers the smallest micro uh, company as possible, <laughs> but uh, the softest of micros. What, what type of like size of company have you preferred? Maybe it's not even the one that you're currently in. What, is, what feels like the best size company that you like working in? So like I, I was joking around, but I actually, I thought after I was going to leave LinkedIn, I was definitely going to go back to a small company. In fact, I had an offer letter from a, a small company that I had every intention of joining. So the transfer into to Microsoft was actually just because I thought the position was so interesting. And to be honest with you, whenever I move on from Microsoft, it probably will be back to startup land because I kind of enjoyed wearing all of the hats. Mm -hmm. Like that was that was really great. And like I'll miss the salary. Cheers. Just wondering when it was going to come up. I'll miss that, but uh, I do miss like hacking on really cool stuff. Like everything's on fire. Like mm -hmm. like wearing all the hats. Like I remember my, my first week at Reddit, I was on a sales call. Right? Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> you should not put me on sales calls. <laughs> Anyone that knows me should not put me on a sales call. I think a lot of us, like me, particularly, like look back at startups like fondly, like oh, those were the days with my buddies, and but, like we're forgetting all the chaos and the fact, like I need a new computer, can't get one, we can't afford yeah, it, or something yeah. like that, or like where's lunch? Oh, we don't have catered lunch. Like you go out and get it, and like the working thirteen hours because there's like a bug in production. Like I don't miss that. I miss like learning a lot of new things and the people, but. I don't necessarily miss that, like, chaos. I wonder if there's a correlation between age and the kind of, like... I was just um, about to say yeah. something to that effect, yeah. Like, the, the, the types of people that work there, or...? Well, no, I'm, like, age and the preference of your size of companies. So, like, I'm still in my 20s, late 20s, but still in my 20s, and I want that scrappy. I want that startup. I want the little bit of chaos, because, like, I just want, basically have my hands on everything and learn as much as I can. My second one was a startup and I love that because I feel like 
opportunities were coming my way that like really shouldn't have come my way at 24 but like I learned a lot from that um and I grew a lot from that both like technically and personally but like when I'm 45 or 50 I want to be like at a chill ass like government job <laughs> like gathering pension and like not caring about anything just drinking whiskey <laughs> yeah just drinking whiskey really? I still don't think I'd ever want to be at that point I mean right? I'm also not 50s. So. <laughs> yeah. I still think that, like, that's not that long from now of, like, even hitting that. You said, like, 40, 45. Okay, well, I mean, like, 50. Let's put it okay, at 50. 50. Apparently. Like, like, 30. Yeah, like, 30. <laughs> Shirley's, like, oh, that's super old. Uh, oh, dear. I won't yeah. say how old. I, I'm not speaking out. Thanks, Shirley. I'm a, yeah. But I, I wonder, like, Maybe it's not even like about age, it's about mentality or like mm. what, how you perceive what's valuable to you. So not necessarily age, it'd be just be like, if you just want to like check out and not, that's like a personality trait. Yeah. You're like, yeah. I, I just want to check. Well, I was going to say like, it's, it, it probably correlates to where you are in life or yeah. like sort of what's going on in your personal life. Like how much chaos do you want in your personal life and at work and, or how much, you know, chill do you want in either of them? So I think it really depends on kind of what you have going on. There's some examples of, of, um, there's some examples of companies too, though, that like are kind of startup-y, but don't burn you out. Like, mm-hmm. like 37 signals or base camp, like they've written, you know, their whole existence is based on too. like, you know, you can have a company that is, you can have a lot of freedom and, and you're working on this thing that's growing, but you like, you don't have to burn out and work like 80 hours a week. Like they actually still respect your, your personal life. And that to me is amazing. And I like always have respected them for turning that whole paradigm on its head and being like, you can be a startup quote, but you don't have to do all the, the fire nonsense. Yeah. This is like a whole different discussion altogether, but I have this whole thing about how like, I feel like in Silicon Valley, we're just so obsessed with growth and so obsessed with, um, you know, success means how much money can we raise and success means how many employees can we get. But I really respect the kinds of companies that you just said where it's it's small, but it's small because they know exactly what they want to do and how they want to grow. And that, that growth doesn't necessarily translate to like, you know, hiring uncontrollably. Um, that's a whole different topic, I think. Yeah, no, I think like I like steady growth. I don't like when yeah. it's the panic of like we just hired thirty people on the team, and it's because that to me gets chaos. Because there's growing pain. Yeah, oh, absolutely and it's horrible. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't like being in that situation. I'm happy with steady growth because that means it's a good thing. Decline is the worst. I've been at agencies where you've lost a client, like a major client. And the way most agencies, I don't want to speak to all agencies, but I've worked out enough that if they lose a client and you're not at like an 80%, 100% billable rate, you might not be there very long. Like they'll, even if like a month or two later they get uh, a new client, they don't, they like to stay very lean and they'll cut people like if they're not billable. That's really stressful. Oh yeah, definitely. You want to stay billable at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with you, Shirley. Like the the growth at all costs, oftentimes at like disregarding laws is not uncommon. And it's like, oops, we broke a few laws. So sue us. And like a lot of Airbnb, Uber, all of these scooter startups, like literally all like broke the law, like knowingly. Do we are scooters around anymore? Uh, that was gonna be one of my picks for today was like scooter startups and their insane valuations for a scooter. Startup. Like two billion about yeah. or something. Can crazy. I just say that I went 
off to Japan for three months and then suddenly I come back and there are all these scooters and my friends are like, everything has changed, really. San Francisco is different now. <laughs> We've kind of got into this a little bit, but what are some things that you find that are different between the various companies or maybe kind of benefits to each of them? Because I think like I can definitely identify even going right down to being surely of a freelance by yourself. It's like there's a lot of freedom to that. But like even to the large company, there's a lot of benefits like salary. (laughs) That's an important one there. And also the fact is, is there's a lot of resources to handle certain things on the, the large front. You probably don't have to worry about being cut right away <laughs> assume there's a little more bank and you know they have there's money they're not being as scrappy at that point organized yeah, yeah. so i will uh i will use this platform to go on another rant as i, as I like to I do that's mainly why I, I like to join these things so i can have a platform to rant on the problem with startups is they will never match the salary of oh, big cheers, companies cheers. and especially in silicon valley they can't anymore like they're they're really there's a few outliers but for the most part they pay like half or a third of what a big company will pay you. The problem with this is that they still live here in a very, one of the most expensive cities in the world, but they get all these new grads or people fresh to Silicon Valley, similar to like the, the person off the bus to Hollywood is going to be a star. It's like, you're going to make a lot of money in Silicon Valley. And they, they sell this dream about our startup that sells glow in the dark fidget spinners is going to, it's going to revolutionize everything. You're going to become rich, <laughs> but it's like, I think we all know this tale of you're not going to get rich off equity. Like no one will, but they keep selling this, like this dream, which is okay. So I shouldn't have invested my whole salary in that. That was probably a bad move. (laughs) (laughs) They sell this dream and I've heard it over and over and over again. Like go to any meetup in San Francisco and you'll hear someone pitching their startup about it's the next big thing. But they, people don't have a realistic expectation about like what their expected salary is going to be, what their, like what their future is going to look like. No one tells you, you will not get rich off a startup. Like, you just won't. Uh, the odds are so extreme that I, I can walk around Netflix and uh, ask anybody. It's like, how many shares of X startup or company do you own? They're like thousands. Worthless. Too many, yeah. yeah we, I, like, I own a ton of shares of companies that are just and worthless. they keep getting diluted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, or they, like, we kind of went back to the, like, pre-IPO. Is that you will, in a startup, get a lot of equity but that could be meaningless if the company doesn't get sold or IPO. That's really not worth anything. It's just paper, right? It reminds me if anyone, I wish Ryan Anklem was here, but if anyone's ever seen the, like it's an old Simpsons episode, but where like Bart has like a, a startup, he's like, they're like skateboarding in the like startup and stuff. And like, literally you grab stock, like from toilet paper. <laughs> like, like, just go grab some more stock. Like, and that kind of reminds me of is like, there are certain companies that, yeah, if you get early in, like there could be some huge value to that, like where it blows up and you, you have all this equity in an early startup, but it's, I want, I want to say it's close to like winning the lottery. Like there's a big chance that you won't see anything from those stocks. I want to also add, not only is the um, likelihood really, really low, but even if you are at a company that's going to be that lottery, it's not like, you know, you join and two, three years later, you hit the lottery. Like it's, you join as an early stage and 10 years later, maybe they'll you get something. IPO and yeah. you'll get something. It's a, like a, it's a really long haul well, thing. The days of like Paul Allen and, and Steve Ballmer's are gone, right? Like the, where you're like employee number five and you make a billion dollars. Like that's dead. Like it's long dead because investors have wisened up and they have things like preferred payout and uh, 
preferred stock payouts and things like that. So like you're not going to get filthy fucking rich anymore. You're bursting my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just gone, right? Like you, you, you got to get yours, and like that means taking the higher salary, taking the more equity. Mm-hmm. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Mm. But like it's you're not going to get rich on that anymore. Like you you need to work at a small startup because you want to be. There. Yes. I, I think yeah. like part of that though is sometimes. I kind of like the equity that you do get in the small startup, even though that it's like a big open bet that it could could pay out. I think like there is a little bit of to your point is like you you're buying into something in the sense that you like you believe in that company. I feel like if you believe in it, even if it doesn't anything happen from it, at least you're like really invested in the sense that you're like, yeah, this could be a big thing someday. And like there's that energy around it. And I think that can be very, very powerful. It's not so much about like, hey, I have this much you know million shares of nothing it's that's not really the driver it's like i believe that this could be potentially something great those uh glow-in-the-dark spinners they could but i think sometimes they can be referred to as like the golden handcuffs because a lot of mm. like i know this happened to me at my previous company i felt like i had to stay around for yeah. my options to vest yep. and only when things got so bad that i didn't care anymore is kind of when i left um and i think it it can especially in some employees who join you know out of college or just not knowing quite what they're getting into it just the golden handcuffs because they seem like such a great goal to work towards but you're not really invested in the company and that kind of creates this weird I don't know dichotomy within the employees I think and it's not so much more so much about employee happiness anymore um, to speak that too I hate most of the way the startups work is like you don't invest until you've stayed there a year not right. not every startup but a lot of them it will be like you invest at starting at a year so you have to wait it out for a year and it's painful. It can be very hard to stick right. it out a whole year. Yeah, and year. it's like a vest over four years, yep. but none of them actually vest for a year. So, I mean, there's and all sorts of complicated And if you do want to leave, you might have to buy them out as options. And right. so you pay a bunch of money up front. For and that. the taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's almost the barrier to, in, to investing in any and, pre-IPO and you, you described that golden handcuffs is 100% exactly that, is there's people who literally have these stocks that could actually be like if you let's let's you brought up uber that's probably one that could very well ipo and if you have a bunch of stock there do you buy options if you want to leave to go to another company that could be really expensive on your taxes or literally the upfront cash to buy it out like can be impossible that's golden handcuffs. Well, the idea right is to have their employees be invested, but I feel like in reality, it doesn't always work out that way, especially with the cost of living in San Francisco and also the influx of new employees. There are just so many people here now, and it's almost like, you know, it's like grabbing the toilet paper. Go grab more stuff. Like, you know, here we go. We've got new employees. We're just going to, like, throw toilet paper all over the place. And I don't know. It just it feels a little bit, I don't know, empty. We should, I think everybody should watch the social network and like understand dilution. And like, if you understand nothing about yeah. anything else, like understand share dilution when you're working at a startup and like understand your company's growing fast. They just raised a series A. Awesome. You're feeling good. You got like 1% or something, which is outrageously high even, even today. Absolutely. Your shares will dilute over time when they raise a series B, series C, series E. And like, uh, Brian was talking earlier about like preferences, stock preferences, like liquidation preferences. All of the other investors get paid before you who like may have put in 10 years and like sacrificed your mental health and all these things. <laughs> like they all get paid before you because that's the way they put their capital. They in. put their capital in, but you put your life in. And like, that's essentially my issue with a lot of startups now. And like, I harp on them. I, I, I think there are good sides, which we'll get to in a second, but I just don't want people to move to the Bay Area thinking like, I'm going to become rich. I'm going to become the next, it's the next Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, like whatever. It's not going to happen. Like, understand that. And I think when you join a startup, you can you see with your eyes open. 
Because they'll be like, do you want an extra 50K or do you want an extra 10,000 shares? And you're like, well, extra I don't want to pay. Always take the money. Always <laughs> take the money. Free coffee. <laughs> yeah. I know. The ping pong balls. Ping pong tables. Ping pong tables. Wait, dinner? If you stay till work till eight. Oh, right. I have so many stories about that. Yeah. But I think also, I mean, that's a lot about like all of the equity and all of the money associated with working at a startup. But there are some real benefits. I think you can wear, you get to wear many hats. You learn, I mean, I think someone else has mentioned, and multiple people have mentioned it before, and you get to learn a lot really, really quickly. You do. Granted, sometimes it's about finding the right company that won't suck the soul out of you. <laughs> you know, like dinner every night till, if you stay till 8 p.m. and you're like, no, I want to have a life outside mm-hmm. of this. But I think there are some real benefits to working at startups, depending, again, on where you are in your life and what kind of craziness or not craziness you want. Yeah, I think there is, speaking to that, like, just growth. The company's trying to grow quickly. Well, guess what? You're getting a lot of experience really quickly. And and I don't think we can really say that that's a bad thing is, like, if you are doing that, that's an investment in yourself and really getting a lot of great experience. Like, I, I do feel that that's very, very valuable. Um, and it's hard to put a price tag on that is like, yeah, we, you know, we're making the joke about the stock and lower salary. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. But you're learning a lot. You're learning things that you may not have. You, you learn quickly. You grow really quickly, too. So I think there are some benefits to that side. So I know we've been talking a lot about startups, but I actually want to also bring up the big companies um, and the freelance, kind of like the two opposite sides. Those are really big differences. The, yeah. same, the opposite sides. So um, I mentioned my existential crisis before this, but I'm going to bring it up, which is that um, recently, so I've been freelancing for two years now, and I've been thinking about my options going forward. Um, and let me tell you, um, the lure of the big companies like the Googles and the Microsofts and the, and, and I know Netflix is not big, but like it, Certainly, it's decent very, size. Yeah, it's certainly we're like still very under 4, nice. Four thousand people. Yeah. yeah, I heard you're like three thousand or something, and I was really yeah. surprised. Um, let's, let's look at the market cap. Or Atlassian, you should come to Atlassian. Or Atlassian. <laughs> <laughs> we're all pitching surely on the podcast. <laughs> but I'm saying, come like, work for us. We don't have any golden handcuffs. <laughs> we, we offer lunches. <laughs> But I was just like hearing about, um, I was talking to some friends and they were telling me about Google and Microsoft and how cushy it is and how nice the salaries are. Cheers. Cheers to that. (laughs) And I'm realizing that like, um, I think maybe it's just because I've been out of full time for a relatively long time, but it's starting to look rosy again because um, as a freelancer, I have a lot of freedom. Um. And it means I get to choose the kind of projects I enjoy and I get to set my own schedule. But it means also that after a certain amount, my salary is capped as an individual. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can only do so much as an individual yeah. is like even... Well, I mean, that's the thing is like, even if a million clients came to you and they're like, surely we need you. You're like, you can only, I can only, I have so much time. I have only so much time as an individual. Um, and that like, um, and I'm trying to weigh that, um, my earning potential there versus like, if I go to a full time, uh, a cushy, like really big company that pay ridiculous amounts of money. Um, and that's, that's really, that's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my, my partner, Josh, um, he's freelanced for a long time and same sort of thing, like freedom of what you want to work on and like this, this sort of like 
uh, pick your great the work that you want to do, but essentially you can't scale, scale yourself. yourself. Yeah, and, and then you're doing like all the business side stuff too. So yes. you're the the ability to focus on the thing that you're best at can sometimes be diluted because you're spending time doing like accounting or whatever. Well, and also trying to find that next client. Like yeah, I think that that's too. something to be said too. Is that really difficult too? Is that you're doing the work and you're stoked on it. Um, hopefully you have people knocking at your door for you and that's a great problem to have. But that's still, you have to manage that. 10 people knocking at your door and you're working on the, the one project and then how do you choose the next and every single call that you take is time taken away from working on the, your and that's unpaid. project. That is yeah. unpaid. Like technically, hopefully, you know, you've spoken to like five people and you maybe even only took one or two people. That's okay. Hopefully they end up kind of paying out the you know enough that it's okay to spend that time but also then there's a the point where you finish up one gig and you're sitting and going oh i need to find my next gig <laughs> there's there, you know not everyone has people knocking at the door saying hey shirley you want to make me this cool ass visual data viz like you know but hey shirley yeah i need you to make me cool <laughs> <laughs> i just up my rate by the way because oh, i'm like okay okay right, right, right. brian holt rate is Brian really rate, expensive yeah. yeah it's like oh i have hey, to work Joe, with that guy oh man i usually charge x i'm gonna quadruple it yeah. <laughs> and throw in a bottle of whiskey like, oh right. yes oh, yeah, well, was, so this is super nerdy but like um all the things that we've been talking about it's like everything has a pro and a con and like there's there's no utopia like no matter what you what kind of thing you choose so i've made <laughs> a spreadsheet for myself <laughs> where I put qualities of things that I, uh, things that I appreciate or value. And I put like weightings on those things. Yeah. So when you look for a new job, you, you like have these weightings and you're like, Oh, you know, I value my work life balance or whatever. Like, okay, that's a thing. And then you, you put that on there and you say like, well, this company is not, or this startup or this, if I freelance, this goes down or this goes up. And like, that has helped me make decisions because you can't, it's hard to like in your head put all the things you value and then weight them all and then say like, I'm willing to sacrifice uh, maybe a little bit of my free time for being able to have freedom to work on the thing that makes me happiest and whatever. Like I love that. that. Yeah. Like, like I think that's that's so smart. people always say, I mean, I love the thoughtfulness of actually like putting it down to numbers. Um, but people always say like, there's like the five things. And if you can get like four of them, then that's great. Like, uh, commute, salary, cheers, <laughs> great people to work with. Um, like, so colleagues type of work, maybe growth. I, there's a couple, I can't remember what there's like, I feel coffee. like it's a coffee, coffee, coffee. <laughs> right? That, ping, that pong, ping pong tables, free lunches, free dinner, um, you know, all those great things. But I think there is like a core couple things that if you can check off 90% of them, then that's a pretty good thing. But I like your thought on it as like valuing how important is X, Y, and Z and putting a number value. And if you don't hit it that well on some of them, then it's not the right fit. I like that. I think, uh, Shirley, you said earlier it was about what age you are or where you are in life. <laughs> yeah. But like that that's 100% true. I, I totally agree too. Where you are determines like what kind of risk do you want to take? A startup is a risk. It's not going to pay as much. But 
counter counterpoint because I railed on startups for a while. You will grow. You will absolutely learn things that you would not have learned at a big company. I actually want to say, um, I think maybe it's because I'm highly um, influenced by my mom, who's in her mid fifties, and she just keeps telling me that um, I should go to a comfortable like. She's like, you need to go to a comfortable government job, and <laughs> so that you can take care of a family. And I'm like, mother, what family are you talking about? But also, I keep telling her like, I'm in my twenties. And it is the time for me to like fight and fight for everything I can do, fight for um, every knowledge I can have, get and every experience I can get. And that is the biggest reason why I think I've gotten smaller and smaller in terms of company size, because, you know, the smaller you get, the more you have to do everything. I think that also is where I'm coming from about the where you are in life. So I'll, I'll say, like, I railed on startups so long. And it all totally justified, as all my rants are. But, like, I would not be who I am today without working at a startup. I, when I graduated college, I knew, like, a ton of Java, a ton of C-sharp, didn't know anything about JavaScript. And I'm like, what a cute little language. And suddenly I was like, actually, this is, like, way more fulfilling than doing Java apps. And, like, slowly I merged in the UI. And, like, a startup, you can really find out what you're passionate about. Like, if you're passionate about networking or backend or marketing or being a product manager, like, you can definitely do that at a startup. It is... It is a place to like grow and discover yourself. It's like the college of companies. Kind of. The, the counterpoint is you can easily learn really bad habits that you're not even aware of, especially fresh out of college. You're like, I have a CS degree. Teach me about the world. And this company's like, come on in, Augustus. We're going to teach you everything. <laughs> it's always Augustus. He's, he's yeah. always in my mind. But uh, <laughs> like, that's creepy. A little bit. It's, it's cool. <laughs> I want to be on Jen's mind. <laughs> Mostly. My heart is tickled. Well, you can, we, we interview a lot of people that are from startups and like they're successful startups and they're really smart people, but their coding habits are just bad or their organization is poor because they just never learn these things. And you spend too long with people that are just all about the hustle and like hacking and getting code done that you don't learn like, well, eventually you need to like ship code that is maintainable in the long run. And at a startup, you don't necessarily learn those sort of skills. Everything in engineering is a trade-off. Yes. And so I, I like a balance of the hustle or, I don't know, grit that comes with like a lot of the startup aspect. But there's also everything comes with a trade off in the sense that how does this feature or code last long term? There's a balance of, OK, do we ship this to learn something fairly quickly and then think about it long term? There's there's everything that we do is a trade off. And, and I think to me that there's some of that aspect that it's like you want a balance of that. I think that's that to me is like important of like. Let's take a little of that startup balance, and but also some of the like thoughtfulness that needs to like scale in the long term. Yeah, like this thing's gonna live on. Other people will work on it that are not you. Yeah, I actually really want to echo like a lot of the points made. Considering like Evernote is my first job, I I actually had this like huge, not existential crisis. But when I was coming out of college, I had to kind of make a decision: Do I want to work at a big company or a small company? And I guess the advice looking back now is that if you want to work at a startup, you do get to wear a lot of hats, but it's very self-driven. You have to have like the passion and motivation to like drive yourself to like work hard. And like also, I, I also kind of agree with what Ryan mentioned briefly, which is like, if you don't know what you want to do, it's a really great opportunity to try that. Like at Evernote, I've jumped like three teams. I was on analytics and I went to marketing website and I went to the Evernote web application and I got to like kind of see like all different parts of the stack. and. I feel like my portfolio has gotten like pretty huge just working on tons of projects. But I also kind of look back and think that if I went to a big company, there are some like certain 
fundamental like things that like it would have been nice to have a better mentorship maybe that you could have gotten from a larger company like they the scale of problems they handle are like far different so and that being said like it's good to work with people that are passionate about like what they do and that's that's like something rare and you can't get that that easily and like to work with people that are like really love what they're doing and love the company that's something that startups have that big companies often do not have because it's just people that are collecting a paycheck or like they're they're good at their job but they come home they come in they do their job and they leave and like that's fine but yeah startups have that like friendship and that family bond sometimes that like sometimes you want energy and the passion i actually also want to say like um we've been talking about kind of startup as a place where you can um really figure out yourself and like work hard um for the experiences i actually want to kind of flip that around and talk a little bit about um, my first year at a startup i was really really into that kind of like the mission and what we're trying to do and um i worked my nights and weekends um and that's you know that's a lot of time and then i realized that um if I consider my most valuable asset not as money but as time, um, time is money. Time is well, salary. And, and, cheers. cheers. <laughs> oh, it's been a while. <laughs> Putting all of our most valuable assets into this one startup—that's someone else's dream. We're basically you know, putting our life and energy and time into someone else's dream. Um, and at the end of it, like. Maybe we come out with like some experiences and some growth, but we don't come out with anything else to show for it. Um, and so I know we've been talking a lot about startup as a great way to like pour everything in, um, to get back a lot for yourself. But I also want to say like, we don't, we don't have to pour any more in than, um, then exactly like basically what they pay for us they they're paying me or they were paying me for my nine to five essentially right to get my job done and i don't need to do any more than that and i think that's what 24 year old shirley needed to learn which is that like i don't need to put in like i don't need to take on the extra amounts of work because I think at a startup it's really easy to do that because everybody everything always seems like everything is on fire and everything <laughs> needs to get <laughs> done is, yeah, well is. everything is and everything needs to get done right away and I, I just need to sacrifice my evening and I need to sacrifice my weekend to like get this shipped so that we can meet our deadline um but in retrospect that's really not the case and you it's kind of like what Stacy said. If a startup is asking you to do that, then they're, they're poorly poor. running their startup. So we've, we've talked about culture. What about like the respect or the feeling that you have as, especially as an engineer, how do you feel at the various degrees of companies? Does it matter? Or are there differences between, I mean, I hope Shirley feels really good by herself. Like, you know, her <laughs> boss treats her fairly well, I she would hope, but you know, but like seriously though, is like the startup, the large company, the agency, how, how does that, how does that feel? Does it differ? It, it differs. I'll, I'll sum this because like I've talked a lot this episode, but no one cared what I had to say until I started working at Netflix, essentially. Yeah. Like, I would not get as many speaking roles if I didn't work at Netflix. Am I a better or worse engineer as I was before? Not really. I'm the same awesome, handsome engineer. But <laughs> I disagree. You're, you're, you've grown a lot, Jim. But if I worked for some fidget spinner startup, I would get a lot less credibility just when I say something. And that that matters, maybe not to you, but like it matters to the world at large. Like, someone's like, 
uh, oh, they're an ex-Googler. And they're like, oh, interesting. Does that mean they're a good engineer? Not necessarily. I mean, I see it in uh, like, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you've all seen these like uh, recruiting emails. They're like, X startup has a, you know, first round Google person who's now started this. And I'm like, okay, cool. Right. That, that, sounds, that sounds great. Like, whatever. I, I mean, to me, it's not a selling point, but I've definitely seen that many, many times. So I guess it does have that appeal. I guess it's your point. But, I'm highlighting that. Um, also, internally, though, I wonder about internally the day to day. Because there is the whole. I don't know. I've, I've obviously been out of the workforce for a few years, but is this is there still the like back end engineers think that front end jobs are really easy kind of yes. thing? Yes, oh, I think yeah. it really depends on the size of the company too, like whether or not they value front end as like a skill you should have. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, the smaller the company, they're like, we're looking for full stack engineers. I'm like, I don't think you know what that means. Um, and basically, <laughs> it's like I'm a, what I've seen in my experience is like back end engineers who can put check boxes on pages, and I'm like, that's not what a front end engineer does. There's more to the role. There's interfacing with other partners. Yeah. Bloody bloody blah, preaching to the choir. And then the bigger the company you go, sometimes the more respect there is for sort of like the specialized skills. And you can learn, you can wear many hats at small companies, but also you can grow as a front end engineer or whatever engineer you are at a larger company by going deeper into that particular um, topic. I actually like to think of it like startups. You get a lot of breadth of experience. And then when you're ready for it, you move to a larger company, you begin to get more depth in that experience and become more of an expert. Yes. Well said. Like when you care about making a really great UX and like you care about users being able to do something well and easily, like the bigger companies I've worked for at least allow for that specialization and that time. So you're like, we can make this great experience because we have people that are like designers that are dedicated to that and front end engineers that are dedicated to that. And instead of like, do all the things, oh, shitty experience, but like... (laughs) But we shipped. Yeah. And yeah. like, no. Yeah. No, but I think actually it goes back to the, it's not so much, pro- I mean, part of it is process, but also, I mean, there, there's a benefit to specialization, yeah. which isn't necessarily the same thing as process, but sometimes they go hand in hand. And just being able to like delegate or like very clearly know like who works on what part of the product, it's kind of just like, we'll streamline things, um, even if it can make things go a little longer. But unlike startups, larger companies have the luxury of being like, okay, we want this to go out, but we want it to go out right. I yes. wanted to go out right the first time as opposed to, oh, this needs to be done yesterday. Good luck. <laughs> like, I'm going to say the word salary just so we can <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers. All right. As we end the episode, we also like to share picks of things that we found interesting. Uh, Augustus, what do you have for picks? Yeah, sure. So uh, speaking of startups and like wearing a lot of hats and trying new things, um, I started getting like really interested in like data engineering and machine learning. So I've just like been learning a lot from that. Like I recently went to Google I.O. and learned a lot about machine learning. So my first pick is this uh, site called Model Zoo. Um, so I like I think one pain of machine learning is like training models and then like applying those models. And then the second part of it is applying those models and like using it to like solve really cool problems. Model Zoo is just like a place where people have pre-trained a bunch of models and you can just use them for your apps or whatever. So it's kind of like giant resource for pre-trained models, which you should double check that they do things <laughs> you want, but you know, I don't know. Perfect. perfect, got it, cool. cool. And then uh, this uh, this next pick, um, so I found it at a questionable time, 2 a.m., and unfortunately, <laughs> um, not 
the wisest decision, but it's called Human Benchmark Reaction Time. And it's really simple. You just click to start, and there's a red square, and then you wait for it to turn green. And then you click as fast as you can, and it tells you how fast you clicked it. It's amazing. amazing. And I try, I just spent, yeah, I just did it, and I, I spent like, a really long time, like I spent like an hour up just like trying to get from the like, really, really. <laughs> Gus needs more, more things of work. Was like, oh, God. <laughs> hey, Gus has got a few more tickets to assign you. Yeah. All right, right, right a couple after, more Jira tickets right after yeah. this. <laughs> but yeah, that's my pick. Awesome, Mars. What do you have for us? Um, so the first thing I have is something called Haya, which is supposed to block like different <laughs> spam. What? <laughs> well, welcome to last episode. This is oh, darn it. Sorry. It's okay. And then we literally went had a back and forth about Hyatt. Okay, all right. Well, okay, so I don't know what I did, but when I was in Las Vegas, someone got my phone number, some hotel and email, and I've been getting like seven spam phone calls within an hour of each other like every day in the morning. Anyway, so Haya has saved my phone much some much needed battery and also me a lot of frustration and almost throwing it against the wall. So it'll help you block like different, you know, spam phone numbers and scams and Jem is either laughing or making fun of me. I can't really tell. It's usually how it goes all the time. And then my second pick is actually a series on Netflix called Explained, which is like each episode is, I don't know, 14 to 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes long. And it's just about different, like, you know, random topics. And they just go through them very plainly and simply. It's kind of like a how I made this type thing. But when uh, it comes what, to... What is K-pop? And- yeah, cryptocurrency. Uh, monogamy is a topic, which Ooh. I actually thought was really interesting. Designer DNA was also really that interesting. That was a good one. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking for something short and that will help you see the world differently, I would recommend that. K-pop's life-changing. I have thoughts on both those picks. I already said on Haya, listen to the last episode. Ryan and I have a back and forth with Augustus. I like explain. My, my problem with explain is like they don't often provide a counterpoint. Like the monogamy one, it was like all people who were like swingers. I'm like, yeah, that's one opinion. Like, not that I'm for or against either one. Who cares? But the K-pop one, they didn't have people that were like, actually, this is not music. They didn't have like real artists being like, it's it's not art anymore. They just had people that are pro K-pop and like that was it. I, I do like explain the designer DNA one is awesome, but I like I like people to argue and like let me make up my mind not like here's what it is a little bit but fuck you i like it when everyone agrees yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about you have yeah. to agree yeah. i think we can all agree i'm very critical and being but being critical means like yeah. you weigh the pros and cons of absolutely so not yeah. just like i'm on board all the time um but anyways, I do like explain the designer DNA one is like particularly very good. Also, the one on the racial wealth gap is. It like definitely also solid. just like piques your interest in things. I think. I mean, yes, definitely, definitely take it with a grain of salt because it is 15 minutes to explain some very complicated <laughs> concepts. So good luck. But yeah. No, those are good picks though. So my first, it's a long article. It's by uh, Yu Hong Bao, and it's about the evolution of ads and tracking on the internet. And it covers like Google and their purchase of DoubleClick and Mozilla and. I assume he's right. Like, I can't back a lot of this stuff up, but like he, he, uh, or they did a lot of research into this. And it's interesting to see how like Google evolved. Like, I didn't know they bought all these companies, like, um, when they bought DoubleClick or, um, what Google Analytics actually purchased that from another company as well. Like, that was another company. And like, over time, you see like almost the morality of tracking on the internet and like Google's opinion change over time. They're like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And then, Mozilla's like, oh, yeah, we're not going to do this. And, like, you see this back and forth, and it's, like, a 20-year back and forth about privacy on the Internet and ads. And it's, like, really interesting how it evolved. It's worth reading. It's pretty long, but 
if you do front end, if you do anything on the internet, it's, it's worth knowing the history of like the internet and like why we are where we are today. Uh, my second pick is a podcast. It's called The Strong Web. I was on it uh, last Friday. It should come out pretty soon. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it should be out. Um, but like I talked with uh, Eric and just a fascinating conversation we had about like Netflix culture and like exercising, like staying fit as an engineer, like keeping your mind healthy. It was like such a great conversation we had. We went on for like an hour and a half. Like I hope that's pretty impressive. He cuts it down, but it was a pretty solid episode. I'm I'm excited to hear it when it comes out. And my final pick. Sorry to go on so long. For my pick for Valley Silicon, you know the <laughs> the craziness that happens here. Uh, my pick is actually San Francisco housing prices. All right. Do you all know the median salary you need to buy a house in San Francisco? Three hundred thousand. Buy a house. Buy a house. You need 300K? What, what are your guesses? What's your median? What what salary do you need to be able to afford a house? Oh, in salary. Uh, 600. No, I don't think you need that. 300, 400K. $384,000 is the median salary you need to buy a house in San Francisco County. Wait, that's, that's say, like that much to save five years to buy a house. That is what your salary needs to be to like afford the mortgage on a house. So that. But when you say a house, you mean like a single family house with like how many bedrooms and how many. One, one bedroom house, two bedroom house. It doesn't yeah, matter. Median. Yeah. yeah. That's Jeez messed up. Louise. That's the reality we live in. So like when I say like don't work for a startup for pennies because you might get rich in the future, like don't do it. <laughs> like work at a startup in Denver or like Portland or anywhere. Like that. this is real. This is real life. Like. Buying a house here is just next to impossible. Stacy, what do you have for us? I have, so I just got back from an awesome trip to Berlin, uh, Germany to go to CSSConf and JSConf uh, EU. So good. So good. One of the best conferences I've ever been to in terms of like uh, speaker inclusion, incredibly diverse speaker set, um, just inclus- inclusive of all things. Like it was a very... Uh, uh, there's childcare at the conference. That's amazing. awesome. Amazing. So I've, I've three like sub picks from that. So like the conference is itself great. Beaker browser was uh, a talk at JSConf by Tara Vansell about the idea of like peer to peer browsing and the idea of like removing servers from the equation and like bringing the, bringing back sort of the fun to the web where it didn't require this immense knowledge about massive build systems and servers to like share things that you know. It, amazing talk uh it got multiple claps like in the middle of the talk which <laughs> i always i uh, feel like in, if engineers are willing to like show their exuberance in the middle, middle of a talk like this is something that's maybe a game changer and i i'm very excited about uh this concept uh marcy sutton um who does amazing work with accessibility she had a talk about empathy driven development um her talk was super practical she had like a, a React demo app that had stuff that was like, here's how you add accessibility and like live live coded that thing. And she has like a great uh, GitHub uh, demo app that that shows that stuff. Awesome. Uh, Laura Laura Schneck, um, and for CSS Comp, she did a really amazing talk about the algorithms of CSS. Um, really great cartoons and just presentation style, but also just this idea of marrying the fact of like understanding how the browser uh, parses and applies CSS, um, helping you to write better CSS and like these these concepts are you don't have to know all about them, but like they help you write better things. And I, I thought that was really great. 
Um, so those three talks, amazing. They're uh, soon to be published. Um, they're not quite out on YouTube yet, but as soon as they are. Just happened too. So. Yeah, they're, they're going to definitely share all this for free and like watch all the talks. They're amazing. That's like a teeny tiny sampling. Like my mind was blown a million times. Um, and I don't have a music pick this week, but I have a, a, a joke that um, I'm going to see. Uh, a DJ this Friday called Function and like I recently saw a DJ called Object and I was talking to a friend of mine she's like do you only see DJs that like have names related to programming <laughs> and I was like oh weird uh, I have I have two picks one of my picks is a technology called Kubernetes uh, I've been working a lot with infrastructure obviously because that's part of my actually it's pretty much my job now and so orchestrating containers with Kubernetes is really easy, even for someone like me that didn't come from a DevOps background. And there's two technologies that go behind it called Helm and Draft. Helm is kind of like NPM for containers. So you can just like and say, give me a Node container, give me a MySQL container, give me a Elasticsearch container. It just kind of orchestrates all that for you, which is easy for someone like me. And there's another one called Draft, which is like Yelman for containers, where you can just say like, scaffold me up these kind of containers love right? that those yeah, great analogies yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my other pick is I, I didn't get to do this rant and I, I wanted to borrow old man gem rant for just yeah a second. man thank you old man Brian <laughs> old man Brian rant which doesn't okay old man Brian <laughs> uh, if anyone ever pitches you that you're going to work for a startup within a startup or a startup within a big company, it's a goddamn lie and don't do it. I've been pitched on this like seven times in my career and every single time it's been a, just a huge lie. <laughs> but, uh, so the, the startup with inside a larger company. Right. That like, doesn't oh, hey, I'm big company X and we, we're doing a startup within our company. It's like it's a per- like it's just like a startup, but we're going to pay you like it's a big company, yeah. but you have all the autonomy. It's like it's a lie. so i also have two picks i just got back from a three-month stay in japan so both my picks are going to be japan related the first one is going to be team lab which um, is one of the biggest reasons why i went to japan in the first place so team lab is i actually don't know what they are exactly but they're like a creative agency and they do installations they had an exhibit um in the pace gallery in palo alto a few years back um but um they do all of these immersive interactive installations at museums around the world um and the first time i encountered them was this exhibit called crystal universe and which i think you should just google because i can't quite do them justice but the first time i was in that exhibit i was like whoa there's something that's going on in japan that's not going on in art museums in the western world that i've been um and so that's why i went over there so that's my first pick, um, Team Lab and anything like that in Japan. Um, and the second pick is, I don't know if vacation counts as a pick. <laughs> it's been done. It's been done. So yeah, it's been definitely. Done. Yeah. Um, so I was in Japan during late March and early April when the cherry blossom season was oh, happening. ultimate time to go. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. So I partially grew up in Japan when I was a kid and I remember all these cherry blossoms lining the streets but going there as an adult seeing all of the pink all around me seeing it in the trees seeing it um you know kind of like billowing down with the wind and kind of just 
that that's a memorable life experience. That now I understand why Japan starts their school year in April, unlike the rest, a lot of the other countries that starts in September. Because like, I can just imagine in April, like walking down the street, going to a new school, like surrounded by the pink and like it's just billowing in the wind. Like that's gorgeous. So if you can ever make it to Japan. Um, in April, I recommend that also. It's on my bucket list, yeah. definitely. It's God, gorgeous. I just think of those animes where. But it's it's you need to like go for a few weeks because it only lasts for a week or two. It's never the same exact week of the year. So just like plan a month long vacation, you know, with cool. the startups and the the big companies Great. that with the <laughs> unlimited vacations, <laughs> you should be able to do that, right? <laughs> So I only have one pick. It's a Netflix original uh, that I watched really quickly called Evil Genius. If if you ever watched Making a Murder, I feel like if you like that one, watch this one as well. It's based off of a bank robbery in 2003 where a guy was strapped with a bomb on his neck. There's this whole crazy story that goes along with it. I'm not going to say much other than that as just go watch it and follow along. Uh, it's it's really, really great story. I want to thank Brian and Shirley for joining us. Thank you so much for coming again. Yeah. You're not sick of us. I love it. Yeah. Where can people get in touch with you? Oh, so I am almost everywhere online as S-X-Y-W-U. And if it makes it easier for you to remember, that's Sexy, Sexy Woo without the E. <laughs> Pause. Okay, uh, I, I am still still on Twitter as at holdbt. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can follow us on Front End HH on Twitter and listen to us on whatever podcast catcher you enjoy. Thank you all for listening. Any last words? <laughs> Cheers. 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 <laughs>